0: Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and Shalom.
1: Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Land Ministries, and thank you for joining us here at B'nai Shalom.tv. From our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week where we can set apart the Sabbath with the Kiddush, worship the Lord with uh, song and dance, and also to hear the teaching of the Torah portion from the word of the Lord. A couple of announcements that we have for this week. It is June 28th, and uh, we are very excited. Camp Yeshua is coming up. It will be here very shortly. Uh, many of the kids are coming from all over the country to join us in Anadarka, Oklahoma, to uh, have a great summer camp experience for the kids to reignite their uh, passion and their faith in their Savior and in their Lord. Uh, We hope that you would join with us in prayer for uh, safe travels for everybody coming uh, from all over and pray that the Lord would pour out a spirit upon uh, these kids and uh, another great year and a generation that is uh, rising up that is the future of this movement. We're looking forward to that. We also are, of course, continuing to look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles in Chandler, Oklahoma. Uh, we per- ask that you prayerfully consider, uh, registering for that and, uh, joining us there for that appointed time. You can go to tabernaclesevent.com for all of those details there. And we, of course, are still running our, tabern- our event fundraiser where we're trying to, uh, build up some funds and some resources to be better stewards of the Lord's resources, to put on all of our events, uh, such as our conferences like Shavuot, Hanukkah, and also the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, we're looking at the purchase of a shower trailer uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles right now at this time. So we are uh, asking that you would perfectly consider making a donation to that for us to continue to do the good work that this ministry has done. To minister to the brethren and to serve the people. Of course, pray before the Lord. We pray that the Lord would stir in your heart uh, to make that donation. Um, if you've been blessed by uh, any of the aspects of this ministry, um, we would ask that you would consider that because it sustains us. It allows us to continue the wonderful work that the Lord has done for us. Uh, and has allowed us to continue to do uh, now for 25 years. So with that said, uh, we thank you once again for joining us here on this of Shabbat. Now let us set apart the rest
2: of the week from the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home.
1: Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath.
2: the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.
3: Amen. And now the
1: Kiddush, Amen. blessing Amen. over the
3: cup. Baruch Eloheinu Melech Borei Prihagahafin, Ah. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen.
2: uh...
1: Now the ha'motzi, blessing over the bread.
3: (laughs) Ha'motzi lechem min ha'aretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech Hamotzi lechem min haaretz Amen Blessed art thou, o Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. No,
2: dear. No, dear.
1: Husbands, let's bless our wives. <clears throat> dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given, given to us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen.
2: Amen.
1: Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen.
2: Shabbat
3: Shalom Shabbat Shalom Bahuetaranai Hamvorak Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Mocha. Mi ha mocha ba mi mocha nedar ba chodesh, no you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, in wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch HaTarunai, El Heinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu et Derech, HaYeshua ba Mashiach Yeshua.
1: Altogether, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru.
3: Veshemru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la Sot et ha-shabbat tam barit olam, b'nei avoyom b'nei Yisrael ot l'olam, Le Olam, Kesheshet Yamim Asarunai,
1: et ha-shmaim v'et ha v'yom Shabbat v'yinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema.
3: Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Mechuto, Leo Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one.
1: Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah,
3: He is Lord. Amen. And now the V'yachavta. V'yachavta et Adonai ochecha, bechol levavcha ufkol nashicha, meodecha.
1: All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
0: I see the Lord And His train fills the temple I see the Lord He is high and lifted up I see the Lord his train fills the temple. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up. And angels cry. holy. Yitzion Tetzetorah Mervar Haronai Me Baruch Shenatan Tora Tora Baruch Shenatan
2: Tora Tora
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, to chapter 13, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. As you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Arunai Eloheinu Melakholam asher bachanu mikol ha'ameim Lanu et torato to baruch ata'runa non ten ha'torah amen blessed are you O Lord our God King of the universe who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah blessed are you O Lord giver of the Torah amen Our tour portion this week is entitled Shalach, which means send, which uh, begins in Numbers 13, where the children of Israel are about to send spies into the land of Canaan before they would proceed into the promised land. Have you ever watched a movie and seen that maybe there's a part of a movie that has uh, some tragedy in it? And uh, maybe whenever you sit down and watch the movie, you know the tragedy is coming up. You know that something's sad. There are some sad parts of this movie. You know that there's maybe a good story at the end, or, um, you know, the difference between a comedy or a drama, and you sit down and you watch something you wish to enjoy. But sometimes you sit and you know that tragedy is coming up. You know something, that sad moment is coming up. And in your deep down in the recesses of your soul or your brain, you're kind of like, man, maybe this time maybe something it'll change maybe that that tragedy won't happen can you imagine if if something if that sad part of that movie didn't happen what what the rest of the movie would be would be of course that that never happens of course it it, it doesn't matter how many times you watch one of your favorite movies for the kids of my generation you know the one that kind of impacted us personally was the lion king and um You know, it doesn't matter how many times that you watch The Lion King, uh, Mufasa, the father, he, he dies. He dies tragically. Spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, and for my generation, doesn't matter how many times you watch it, that's always gonna happen. For maybe the older generation, maybe there's another movie that might impact you if you go back to, uh, the movie Bambi. (laughs) Bambi's mom dies at the beginning of the movie every single, every single time you watch it. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Robert Redford, Paul Newman, wonderful movie. But you know how it's going to end. Doesn't matter how many times you watch it, you you know that's what's going to happen. But you think and you hope, man, what if it had been different? That is how I feel about this Torah portion. This is the torah portion that uh, the story the 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 lord has has prospered the children of Israel we've counted them up they're a huge company and a multitude. He's delivered them from Egypt with an outstretched arm with power, great judgments He's delivered them they've walked across the Red Sea, he's fed them in the wilderness. He's given them uh, water to drink, and, and he has given them their co- his covenant with them, and now they're going to the promised land. Now everything is right and wonderful and good, right? That's what's supposed to happen. That's how the story is supposed to go. But that's not the story that we have. We have the story of, of, the, of the children of Israel rejecting the promised land. They, they send these spies and they send a bad report. They come back with a bad report, and, 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 and we see, and we, in hindsight, can watch this and read this story, and, and we know how it's going to happen. And we sit there and we're like, Why? Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why does this story have to have such a tragedy in it? Well, personally, the thing that I'm encouraged by it is that it's, it's for our admonition, it's for our instruction. So that we might learn the mistakes of those that have gone before us. We have to learn and and dig in. And that's what I hope to draw out of this Torah portion this week. Is to draw in on in the pitfalls that they, the things they said, the things that that generation did. And how do we ensure that that mistake doesn't happen again in our lives, in our personal lives, in our personal walk with the Lord. How do we ensure... That we don't make the same mistakes that our generation and our ancestors who came before us, the same mistakes that they made. Well, we have to study what they did. We have to learn what, they've, what they did, what came before us. My father uh, gave, gave me a piece of counsel one time that a son must always understand his father. He must always know and learn what his father did, how he how he became the man that he is. Now, in in, in the other side of that coin is that a son will always struggle to understand his son. That's just sort of the, the nature of things, and that's kind of how the whole council goes. But when it comes to us learning from the generation that has come previous, and let, let me just go ahead and say this: This isn't about a younger generation and an older generation. This is the same thing from generation to generation. There is all will always be a generation that came previous. For any generation that walks this earth, it's 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 a it's a fact. It has to be the case. There is a generation before who did some things, who acted a certain way. Maybe they did good in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe they acted wickedly in the eyes of the Lord. It's the responsibility of the next generation after that to understand what the previous generation did. That's what we have to do. As believers in God, as ones that, uh, as a group of people that desire to follow the Lord, His commandments... His instructions, his ordinances. We must understand what the generation... There was another generation that came at one point in time that was there to follow the commandments of the Lord. They attempted to follow the commandments of the Lord, but they failed. We must learn why they failed, how they failed. The warning signs of what would cause those people to make that mistake. We have to follow what the Lord has said exactly. We have to follow what the leadership that the Lord has anointed and put in front of us. What he has said. And we must follow those orders to understand and to do what the Lord wants us to do. And for us to learn, that's how we learn. We see the mistakes. We analyze them. And then we pray before the Lord with the guiding of his Holy Spirit and through our conscious actions and the things that we say, the way we act, the way we feel, the way we treat one another. We learn how to obey the Lord and we learn from the mistakes of the previous generation. That is what we must do. That is why we study the scripture. That is why we have all of these instructions here in the book of Numbers about this generation that didn't make it to the promised land, that rejected the covenant of God. That is what we need to learn. Here we have, beginning in Numbers chapter 13, and our Torah portion will extend through uh, Numbers chapter 15. We have uh, three chapters to, to go through. And what I hope to do is bring out some of the things and the aspects and, and hope to, to encourage you in what was going on here in what was the thought process of this generation so that we may learn from it? It begins here where it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names. And then it starts giving a list of the men that became the spies, One from each tribe. As you read here at the beginning, you might see and it says the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says, send men into the land. If you just read this passage right here, you might have the misconception that this was the Lord's idea. That the Lord is giving this instruction that the Lord told them, send these men, spy out the land. And then obviously what comes back if something bad happens because this happened? Well, then that's on the Lord, right? Because he commanded them to do it. We have to remember there's other parts of Scripture that sometimes there are parts of, of of our Bible or Scriptures that sometimes are a little bit confusing. But sometimes when you cross-reference them with other parts of Scripture just describing the same event, you can clarify some of these things. You can clarify some of, the, uh, some of the things that might be you know, missed, some of the things lost in translation, kind of reading between the lines here. And we do have a passage of scripture that describes this same event. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, when Moses is speaking to the last generation. Right on, right at the mountain, right as they were about to cross into the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy was written as the final words of Moses to the final generation who actually does go into the promised land. And he recounts this story. He recounts what happened at this exact moment in time in our story during the Torah cycle. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, let me read here. At verse no, starting at verse 19, so we departed from Horeb. That's basically the same region as Sinai, and that's what they did. That's what we did in the last tour portion. They departed from Mount Sinai, and they went through the great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way of the mountains of the Amorites. And the Lord your God commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord God, your God, has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. And the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me, to Moses, and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back a word on which way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me. So I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed, and they went up to the mountains. They came to the valley Eshkol, and they spied it out, and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us and they brought back word saying it is a good land which the lord or god is giving us started and he continues to describe exactly how what happened when the spies came back this clarifies how we ended up at this point when we're sending men into the land the people came to moses and said let us spy out the land let us send men to search it out and when, when the thing that it's worded here is it says, hey, you know, you're going to send a recon unit in. Let's go figure out what's the best way to go. Which valley are we going to go through? Uh, which mountain pass are we going to traverse to get to where we're going? That sounds like a reasonable idea. Anybody who's ever been in the military, you're like, ah, that sounds great. Let's get some recon. Let's get the best intelligence we can get. And, uh, you know, let's get some actionable intel and let's know what we're doing when we're moving forward. That's a great idea if we were just a bunch of men about to march into an unknown territory and we didn't have, uh, we didn't have any foreknowledge and we didn't have any other additional resources on our, we, we, we don't have enough information or resources to go and make a good decision, so let's go get that information. If we we're a bunch of men, that makes sense. That was not the case with the children of Israel. If you remember, we recounted in last week's Torah portion again, the Lord was present in the camp with them. The Lord was there. He had a tabernacle. He had a place where he dwelt. And there was not any question that the Lord was present in the camp. Because there was a pillar in the middle of the camp. A pillar of cloud by day. Fire by night. It was big. You Couldn't miss it. And when it got up and moved, the children of Israel moved and followed. That's how the children of Israel traversed the wilderness. As the, the pillar moved. They followed. People didn't go before the pillar... To go and see, well, oh, this is the way we should go, or hey, this is really good right here. And then somebody came running back and reported and came back and then told God or told the pillar and says, hey, this is a good idea, let's go down this way or this highway or this path. Nobody wouldn't did that. The pillar was the leader. They followed the pillar. What is this business about sending people ahead of the camp? God didn't command that. That's an idea that came from from other men. This is one of the first things they did when it says that that the pitfall of the mistake that they made is that they're not following the Lord. They think they know better. They think they have a better idea of how we're going to go and take the land. God said the land was theirs. God said, you're going to go and take the land. I'm giving it to you as a possession. Just follow me. They didn't do that. They sent men for themselves. And after they appealed to Moses, then the Lord confirmed back to Moses and says, you can send men if you want to, if that's what you want to do. The counsel was good enough, I guess, for Moses. Maybe did, did Moses go and petition? Maybe Moses, there's a little bit at fault with Moses here as well. Why didn't Moses turn back to the people and say, no, we're going to follow the Lord? I've given the instruction. Somebody has added to the instruction that we're going to put another little wrinkle wrinkle or layer to how we're going to follow the Lord. This was a mistake and this was a pitfall. Because the story that follows, of course, we know what's coming. Tragedy. They send men, heads of each tribe. And we have a listing of 12 men of who were the spies that, came, that were sent in to the land. A name and his father from each tribe. This should sound very familiar here in the book of Numbers, because we've already talked about it going back a couple of weeks now to Numbers chapter 1. I already told you that there were 12 men in, uh, among the entire uh, camp of Israel that were singled out, that were called by God by name from each tribe, who were considered to be the leaders of the camp. Their names have been mentioned five times already in Scripture. I didn't go over every detailed one, but they're listed first in Numbers chapter 1. And then it's also given instruction in Numbers chapter 2 when they actually did pack up. Their name was mentioned again in the Scripture and says, They stood by their banner and they led their tribe. And then when they gave the offerings to the tabernacle in Numbers chapter 7, they're mentioned again and they're told, and they said, these were the men, these were the leaders of the tribes. They came, they presented the offerings to the Lord. This was the offering that came from this man, from this tribe. This is the leader of the tribe that God has called to lead them. These, each of these men have been already been named five times in all of scripture. But when we go to send these spies into the land, we're looking for leaders among the tribes. Where did these peoples come from? Who chose these people to go into the land? It wasn't God. God didn't vote on these men to go and be the leaders of the tribes and to represent the tribes of Israel. These men were selected by other men. These were the ones that the people they all voted on. They all said, hey, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, um, um, from, the, from the tribe of Judah, we got Nachshon, the leader of the tribe of Judah. That's the guy that God called, let's find, try to find somebody else. Let's try, let, let's pick, you know, he got his responsibility. Let's, let's, let's have a fair shake for, for somebody else and let's, let's, let's vote for another leader here. This is the, another layer to the mistake that was made. Why didn't we just send the ones that, that God, I, I believe this. This is just an opinion here. I believe if they had sent the 12 men that were called by leaders by God, and those were the guys who were chosen to be the spies to go out the land, I bet they would have come back with a great report. I don't think we'd have any issue. Where Lord would say, it's all like, yeah, send for yourself. You know, go and do that. And they'd come back. And if they were the leaders chosen by God, they would come back and they would have the word of God in their mouth. They had been anointed to be that leader. They would have come back with a good report. Yeah, that's fine. I don't even think we needed to go. Because we're following the, we're following the Lord. You called me by me. I'm the leader. And we're, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. We're going to still follow the Lord. God knew he, what he was doing when he chose those names of those men. But we have another list of these names of these people. Now, two weeks ago, when we were talking about this, I, I took a look at the meanings of those, got men, those men's names um, that God had chosen. And that there was, in, in fact, I mean, I just did a quick, uh, just a quick overview of the meaning of those names. And there is an incredible prophecy about the plan of God that is in the meaning of those guys' names. About how the Lord is going to, to to bless his people. He's in covenant and he's our friend. He's our acquaintance. And it's talking about the whole plan of God. And there's like a prophecy about how he made the world and how He His how Abraham became the friend of God and the acquaintance of God. All the way up to talking about prophecy going into the end of the age. The name of those men, the names of those men have a prophecy of the very plan of God from beginning all the way to the end of the age. God knows what he's doing when he chooses these men. It's his plan. It's his it's his goal, it's his instruction. So what happens if we look at the meaning of these guys' names? These guys, these these spies that were that were voted on by the people, is there a story that can be told? From their names. Now, I don't want to spend too long on this, but let me see if I can sum up here, uh, mostly here. Looking at the names of some of the of the tribes. Uh, from the tribe of Reuben, there was a man by the name of Shemua, whose name means renowned. From the tribe of Simeon, there was a man named Shaphat, which means judged. From Judah was a man named Caleb, which if you extrapolate the meaning out of his name, it means all heart. Issachar means, uh, was Igal, which means he redeems. The tribe of Ephraim was a man by the name of Hosea, or Joshua, means salvation. Benjamin sent a man by the name of Palti, which means my deliverance. Zebulun, Gadiel, uh, was, a ma- was a man whose name means God is my fortune. Manasseh sent a man named Gadi, which also means my fortune. Dan sent a man by the name of Amiel, which means my kinsman is God. Then Asher sent a man named Sethur, which means hidden or concealed. Naphtali sent a man named Nachbi, which also means hidden or withdrawn. Now Gad sent a man by the name of Geuel, which means the majesty of God. Now there's also the father's names that are listed as well. And sometimes they have some, name, some meanings that you know might relate here. But I do want to point out that last one, Geuel, majesty of God, is what his name meant. He was the son of Machi, which means decrease or to diminish. I, now, as I read that, just on the surface level, some of those names, those are, those are good, powerful names. Renowned, all heart, redeemed, redemption, salvation, deliverance, fortune. All of those things are wonderful. The, the, the power of God is being represented here. But there's also a name mixed in there that says Shaphat, which means judged. And then you've got those other two names from Asher and Naphtali, things that mean hidden or concealed or withdrawn from you. If I'm putting all of this together in this story, I can look at the meaning of these names and say, yeah, God is all these things. He's our redemption. He's our salvation. He's our deliverance. He's my fortune. But why are we sending a guy that talks about something being hidden? If we put all of these names together, that would mean that God's deliverance, God's salvation has been concealed from us. His fortune has been removed from us. The majesty of God has been decreased renowned men are going to be judged these are all just phrases and words that i can pull out from the meanings of these names this is not a plan of god this is not something that's exciting that, that, that carries on a meaning of a plan no this is a this is a a plan that would cause people to be drawn away from god that is the story of the meaning of these men's names it's very important who you choose if you're going to vote for somebody and cause somebody to, to, to rise up, you have to, be, you have to make sure you know what you're doing when you're calling this. Because the story of the meaning of these men's names actually doesn't come out very well. The uh, spies Caleb from the tribe of Judah, Hosea or Joshua, as it says specifically Moses, called him Joshua instead of Hosea. He sort of had a, a nickname for this man who was his second in command. These two men, they were the only ones that came back with a good report. These were men who had a different spirit inside of them when it came to them coming back and reporting back before the Lord. It's like going into a jury and you sit there where, you know, the jury has to give a verdict that is unanimous. And when you go and you, you do this vote, this vote was uh, two to ten when it was all said and done. But these two men, they're the ones that said, hey, this is no problem. We're going to follow the Lord. The other men rejected it. <clears throat> We need to look for people who are qualified to be leaders who represent and who are more like Joshua and Caleb than any of these other men. We need to find people who have a different spirit that follows the leading of the Lord. Though these men were voted on by their fellow tribes and chosen and, 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 and to, to represent them, you know, we still have to go. You know, I bet Moses. He saw Joshua was chosen to go and lead. Uh, go and lead his tribe. He probably was like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this will work out. Maybe he was actually. Maybe he was hesitant, but he was put at ease that it's all like, yeah, Joshua's going to go on there. He's going to come back with a good report. He's going to come back and he's going to say what needs to be said, and and, and this is going to be. This is still going to work out okay for the children of Israel. I also love pointing out the fact that Caleb of the tribe of Judah. Very fascinating man, uh, the son of Yefunei. We've never heard of this guy named Yefunei. The reason why is because he wasn't actually naturally born of the tribe of Israel, tribes of Israel. He was grafted in. He was of the nations. He was, but he came in and he was adopted into the tribe of Israel and then elevated to a position of leadership, chosen by, by, by the people to lead that tribe. And he had a different spirit inside of him and was blessed by the Lord also because of it. He continued to be a leader amongst the tribe, and this should be an encouragement to anyone who maybe isn't naturally born, who doesn't know what their physical identity is or physical heritage is, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be elevated to be a leader amongst wherever you find yourself. Just because I, my last name's Judah, I know who I am, that doesn't make me better than any other believer. I don't care if you don't know if you're Jewish or not, or if you're a part of the family of Israel or not. What's the spirit that is inside of you, and what God do you follow? That is what causes you to be a great man amongst the people. I would find myself wanting to, to be like them, not like them to be like me just because of my last name. I don't want ever that to ever be the case. But the, what our natural heritage doesn't matter with what we can be and who we can be before the Lord our God and what spirit we follow when it comes to the leading of the Lord. So that's a wonderful encouragement for Caleb and also to find people among us who are like Joshua. Like I said, uh, Moses actually gave Joshua a nickname. He was his his right-hand man. Even though he was identified as Hosea, the son of Nun, what it actually was, it says Moses called him Joshua, or Yahoshua in the Hebrew. He added a yod to his name, which mean, which turns the meaning of the name not just from salvation, which is what Hosea means, which also shares the same name as the prophet Hosea, same meaning, That it is God, it changes the meaning to mean God is my salvation. God is, he he turns it around to understand our salvation only comes from the Lord. Also very fascinating. Look, Joshua, he came from the tribe of Ephraim. The prophet Hosea, who shares his same name, was a prophet to the northern kingdom who was later going to be ruled by Ephraim and the tribe of Ephraim so there is a spiritual connection here between Joshua tribe of Ephraim and Hosea the prophet and this is uh, all a thing that speaks to a greater prophecy also Caleb from the tribe of Judah being the only these are the only two men that came back with a good report there is a greater uh, meaning to all of this talking about the reunification of the whole house of Israel has to be when the two sticks become one. The stick in the hand uh, it is in the tribe of Ephraim. And the stick in the tribe of Judah. And the two have to become one for the reunification of the whole house of Israel. Another beautiful greater prophecy of the interaction between the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Ephraim. These were the two men who became leaders who continued the walk and, and led the people into the promised land. So Moses sent them to spy out the land. He sent them in, verse 17, to go to the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up this way from the south up to the mountains. See what the land is like, where the people who dwell in there. Are they strong or are they weak? Few or many. Whether the land is, they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor or whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now this was the time and the season of the first ripe grapes. He tells them, go spy out the whole land from the south to the north we believe that they walked in a company of 12 men that they identified themselves as spies as a traveling band of, of of men and they spied out from the negev desert which is in the southern part of the modern state of israel and they believe all the way up to lebanon to the mountainous regions up to the golan heights and in those areas and they spied out the the majority of the land and they were able to walk and take a look and, 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 and see how it was And Moses asked them to report on some very specific aspects of the land. He says, report on the people, the cities. Are they strongholds? Are they encampments? Report on all these things. And then, but also, talk about the fruit and the land. Is it good? Is it plentiful? In that order is how it was asked for the people to report, for the spies to report. First about the people, then about the land and the fruit. That's very important because as we go in and we listen to their report back, we see them make a shift. We see them change what Moses asked them to do. So they went out and they spied out the land. It gives all the places where they went, to the wilderness of Zin, to to uh, Rehob and, and Hamath and all of these places. Starting at verse 21, it talks about all these places. They went up all to all these places. They spied out the land. They looked at all these things. They came to a place called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because they brought a cluster of grapes down from there, and they were spying out the land for 40 days. And when they came back, they came back with a big cluster of grapes. Two men had to carry. The fruit was so plentiful and bountiful, and it was one cluster of grapes that had to be carried on a pole between two men. It's possible these two men actually were Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones who carried the fruit. They were excited to come back and bring the fruit of the land because this was going to be something. When anybody saw this, they were going to be like, wow, what is in that land? I've never seen a cluster of grapes that big. I've never seen fruit that plentiful. I mean, goodness gracious, what what, what an amazing land that this is. And they had to bring it all back. That symbol of two men carrying a giant cluster of grapes has become the symbol of tourism for the modern state of Israel. You go look up Israel tourism. People have logos of that scene. Because what it is, is it shows the fruit of the land. And will, should when you see that, it would cause you to want to go to that land. You want to dwell in that land. That's why you want to go. You're not going to hesitate if that's the fruit that's there. So they come back with all of, this, with all of these things to show all the people. Now they departed, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, and to all the congregation they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, and they said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are, like, are, are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Did you see the little shift that they did when they started coming back and they were reporting? One, why were they reporting to the whole congregation? Moses is the one that sent them. Why don't they come back? Why don't they sit down? Why don't they talk to Moses first? And then Moses is the one who communicates to the people. This is the standard practice of the children of Israel here. Moses speaks to the people. The Lord speaks through him. He's the one that takes the counsel. hears all these words. And then he tells the people. Tell, Speak to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons. Tell the whole congregation of Israel. That was Moses' job. What are the spies doing telling all the people first? The congregation of people, that wasn't their job. That wasn't their role. They're usurping the authority of the camp. They're doing Moses' job by telling the people. Did you see the shift also in the order of operations, the order by which they described it? They started by describing the fruit. They started by saying, look, these things are great. But this is the bad news. It's the same thing when somebody comes to you and says, hey, uh, I got good news and bad news. Well, give me the bad news first. That way we can end on a positive note. We can end on something good. This is the way the prophets all were used by God. Every time the prophets had a word of warning for the people of Israel or whoever that prophet was sent to, they would always give the warning first, but always then end on a good note. Yes, judgment is going to come because he is the Lord and he is good and he wishes you blessing and providence and prosperity always end on the good news that's the way how you're supposed to do and that's why moses asked them to deliver it in that order knowing if the word comes back that their people are strong and their strongholds this is going to be hard tasks to do that's going to be some bad news But but Moses knew that it was going to be a good land. God promised it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. God didn't promise that it was going to be easy or the inhabitants were going to be weak. He promised it was going to be good. So the good news was definitely going to be about the fruit. About the land. Let's end on the good news. But no, the spies came back. They started with the good news and ended on the bad news. The people became disheartened. The people started to murmur. They started to question just, I mean, just a symptom, the reason why that could have been just because they changed what Moses had instructed them to do in the order of how they described it. Verse 30 of chapter 13, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, this might look like as you read that and says Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Caleb himself is he stepping in and usurping the power of, of, of Moses and he 's stepping in front of Moses here? No, because the Hebrew word there for before, and, and some translations say this, he quieted the people toward Moses. What he saw was the children of Israel who were murmuring. They, they started to turn their murmuring and their grumbling and their hostility toward Moses. All of these things, this bad news. We wouldn't hear this bad news if Moses wasn't here. If Moses hadn't sent the spies. If, if, if Moses, they were starting to murmur toward Moses. So Caleb, he sees this. He senses this. And he goes to quiet the people toward Moses. Calming them down. Look, this isn't about Moses. This isn't about the word of the spies. It isn't about this. This is about us taking possession of the land that has been promised to us. This is what Caleb is trying to say. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. Which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have we have gone as spies in the land, it devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw there are men of great stature. They, there we saw giants, or Nephilim as it's in the Hebrew. The descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. Alright, this is when journalism goes too far. This is when somebody who is supposed to go and give a report is supposed to state just the facts. These men were never asked to give their opinion on things. They were never asked to put their own spin on it. they are supposed to go and report. Go to your commanding officer and report what you saw. It's Moses' job to decide what we do next or God's job to decide what does next. They, they, they interrupted Caleb, who was telling them, the Lord gave us this as a possession. This is what we can do. And they cut off him and then to give their own opinion. They stopped reporting just the facts and they started saying, no, we, we can't do it. They're, they're much stronger than us. Once again, we're, we're talking about the inhabitants of the land now. Nobody's thinking about the fruit. Nobody cares about the giant cluster of grapes now if all you're talking about is your opinion on how weak you think you are. Can you imagine just how how ridiculous this was? No spirit of any person here that's interacting right here at this time and who said any of these things was following the spirit of God. Or was doing what God instructed them to do. And this was a complete and utter disaster. Disaster. They embellished the story. They slandered. They they slandered the land of Israel. They gave a bad report of the land. Remember, I've said in 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 past Torah portions, I've said and I've I've personified the land of Israel. The land of Israel is described in the scripture as a living, breathing organism and a creation of God who needs its rest, who needs its Sabbath, who can be defiled by the other people that, that might dwell in there, and have will vomit out its inhabitants if the land needs to. The land is a creation of God. And the spies gave a bad report of the land. The land is God's creation. It's the same thing that if you were going to go to a man and you were going to insult his wife. And you were going to give a bad report. And you were going to spread gossip and go tell a guy that, yeah, your wife is no good. Your wife is terrible. Is the husband going to appreciate that word? Absolutely not. Such was the case of the land of Israel to God, this is His creation. This is the possession. This is His gift He is giving to the children of Israel, and it's like they just turned and said, "Your gift is no good to us." You ever had that happen? You ever gave a gave a gift and it's all wrapped up, and somebody opened it up and and they didn't like the gift. They didn't think it was any good. They thought it was wrong. It's that that doesn't fit, and they just were just down on the on the, the gift that the person was giving to you. How does that make you feel, the giver? Terrible. That makes you, it's like, do you ever want to give that person a gift ever again? Of course you don't. That's what the children of Israel, that's what the spies said about the land that was a gift to the people. Chapter 14 goes in, carries on this exact same story, uh, and, and the very next time. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All the congregation. Not only the people who now were rejecting the promised land and didn't want to go and were afraid... I bet the people who did want to go, who did want to follow the Lord, I bet you believe you me, Moses, Caleb, Joshua, they were weeping that night, too. Just for a different reason. They were weeping because they they can see what was going on, what was happening here. This is the worst thing that could have happened. (laughs) We we sent in these spies. This was supposed to be good. This was supposed to be our ticket into the promised land. And then the report comes back and we've we've rejected the land. And we've said no to God because we thought this was a good idea. This is the worst thing that could have happened. The entire congregation cried that night. Some for different reasons. They complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader to return to Egypt. One of my favorite words to use, it, 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 it always conveys exactly what you want to say and what you want to feel, is the word asinine. It's basically a description of something that's just utterly preposterous and ridiculous. But it also kind of sounds a little bit like a swear word too. So it really kind of conveys what you, what you want to say. This idea of going back to Egypt is asinine. they would think that what pharaoh's going to welcome them back with open arms do they remember the state of egypt when they left it had just been ravaged by 10 plagues and judgments there was no crops there there was no cattle there there were no servants there there was nothing left of egypt when they left and pharaoh wanted to wish them dead What makes you think that's going to work out any better? We're afraid for our little ones. We're going to go die by the sword. Yeah, what's Pharaoh going to do to you when you walk back into Egypt? Their fear was for their children. There's nothing wrong with having a fear for the protection of your family or for your children. Fear is a good thing. Fear is something that, that helps you to stay safe and to protect you. It's something that, that God has, has, has put. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy emotion when it's used in the right way. We're supposed to put our fear and awe in the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with fear if done rightly and appropriately. Same thing with jealousy. Our God is a jealous God. Sometimes we think being jealous is a horrible emotion. If used in the right way, there's nothing wrong with jealousy. Fear is a spirit that sometimes is used to coincide with the spirit of the Lord. We're never supposed to operate solely with the spirit of fear, though. That's what the children of Israel were doing here. They were acting out of fear for what was going to happen to their children. It's what kept them from going into the promised land and obeying the Lord. They weren't following the spirit of the Lord. Who is the one who leads us and guides us in all of these things. This is a giant lesson for us to learn. That we cannot make decisions and operate in our lives. For the fear of what is coming. For the fear of our children. Look. Every generation that comes along there, there there is a subsequent generation, the generation that came uh, ten generations ago, they might have feared for what was going to happen to their children. Well, little did they know that we 're still going to be here there's ten generations after you what, did, did we did that did a generation entirely pass away? Was your fear ever founded in the fact that what, the Lord can't work with the next generation? The Lord can't protect your children even better than you can? You think you know better than the Lord on exactly what's going to happen to that next generation or the next one after that or ten generations later? Why would you have a fear of that? We're still here. If we're our trust is in the Lord, the Lord will protect us. The Lord will protect our children in the next thing that's going on. This is my counsel actually to this current generation right now, and I actually mean the one that's that's older than I, because we live in a world where we're bombarded by fear. We're bombarded by information. You can't turn on the news today and, and see something that isn't going to cause you to have a little bit of fear and trepidation for the direction the world is going. I agree. You know, things look out they look bad out there. We also know that the that sometimes the media is biased and they're trying to control the population by fear, and, and so then do we ever hear the good news on the on the late local stations telling us things that are good and great that happened around? No, we always focus on the negative. We always focus on the things that would cause us to fear. And if you keep being bombarded by all of that information, you know what you're gonna start to do? You're gonna start to make statements like Man, I'm, I'm really afraid for my children and the next generation coming after me. I, I just don't know what they're going to do. I'm, I'm scared for, the, for that generation. And so then what you might do is you might actually say something to your children a certain way based on that fear. Based on the propaganda coming from the, from the interwebs and, the, and the, the boob tube telling you this is what you need to be afraid of. And you might act on that. You might say something because of that. If we are believers in the most high God, isn't our faith and trust in the Lord in all things? Don't you think the Lord knows what he's doing? Yeah, the world, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that that everything that's on the news is a lie. But it is a bad report sometimes that can spark emotion inside of you. Emotion that you're not supposed to be feeling. It doesn't say that the report of the land was untrue. It said it was a bad report. Sometimes the truth can be delivered in a bad way and creates the wrong reaction. That's what we face today in the information age. A lot of information out there. A lot of things that might cause us to fear. Let me reassure all who are listening of every generation. Put your trust solely in the Lord. The Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord has the power to protect your children better than you know how to. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said that the challenges were going to be just removed from before you and it was going to be easy. No, the, the challenges are going to be in, be there. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we become hardened and stronger as a person, as a believer, physically, mentally, spiritually. You can't just protect somebody from everything that's bad because then they're going to form a weak skin. you got to make people do work. You've got to build up some calluses on somebody's hands. So that's how they become stronger. In every way, a person can become stronger. Trust the Lord to do with that generation what he's done, perhaps sometimes with other generations that have come previous. Don't fear for them. Just trust the Lord. Because that's the mistake the children of Israel made here in the wilderness. We're supposed to be learning from their mistakes, not repeating them. So that's my encouragement to everybody of every generation. Don't fear for what comes next. I've fallen prey to that myself. I've watched the news. I look at my three beautiful children, and I'm like, man, I don't know what the world's going to be like for them by the time that they're my age or even 10 years from now. I don't even know. But I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. He's going to take care of them. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to teach them everything that I know previous, but I'm not going to operate with the spirit of fear that something bad's going to happen to them i have to put my trust in the lord and that's what i encourage all of you to do and that is absolutely the lesson that we can learn from what the children of israel did here now moses and aaron they're falling on their faces on this time like i said everyone was weeping that night joshua the son of Nun and caleb the son of Yephune, who were among those who spied out the land they tore their clothes and they wept they spoke to all the congregation of children of Israel, and saying, "The land passed through to, to the, the land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. They're, they're trying to reconvince them of how good the land is. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. No fear the people of the land, for they they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with." us do not fear them encouraging words all the congregation said to stone them with stones now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meaning before all the children of Israel the people have now not only rejected the land but now they're even rejecting the people who are operating with the spirit of the Lord the Lord speaks to Moses he says how long am I going to are these people going to reject me how long will they, know, will they not believe me with all the signs that I've performed among them. I'm just going to strike them with pestilence. I'm going to disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses starts to speak back to the Lord. Moses starts interceding on behalf of the people. He starts speaking back to the Lord the promises that he has already done. He, says, he tells them, Lord, you, you, you have seen face to face. Your cloud sounds above them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day. A pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man and the nations hear of this, what will they say of the Lord? What will they say of the Lord if God does this judgment? In verse 18 he says this. The Lord is long-suffering, him praying back to the Lord, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. He's praying back to exactly what God said. Moses has already done this before. This isn't his first rodeo. In Exodus 34, he already had to plead with God after the sin of the golden calf. He's doing the same thing again. Praying back to God what God has promised. The Lord hears it. In verse 20, the Lord says, I've pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live in all the earth shall be filled with glory of the Lord. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt. And in the wilderness, they put me to the test. Now these ten times I have not and have not heeded my voice. Then certainly we should see the land which I, they shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who reject me to see me. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, he followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites, the Canaanites who dwell in the valley tomorrow, turn away by the wilderness and go away to the Red Sea. You're not going to the promised land now. You're going to go somewhere else. And he says turn and go. Now, there's a couple other layers to that that I, that I do want to talk about. The first thing I want to say is this. The children of Israel put to test, tested the Lord ten times. That should be a pretty powerful number to us. The Lord gave us ten words, ten commandments. The first words he spoke out of his mouth, the children of Israel heard the ten commandments of the Lord from Mount Sinai. But the children of Israel have tested him ten times. Now there's this very specific list of the ten times, and, and so whenever you see that, if you have that question mark, well, what were the ten times? Let me run down this list extremely quickly and talk about the ten times that the children of Israel tested the Lord. They tested him at the Red Sea when they thought that the Lord with a judgment was going to come upon him and the Egyptians were going to kill him at the Red Sea. They tested him at the waters of Mara when they found the water of bitterness and they didn't think the Lord was going to, to come through on that one. They tested him in the wilderness of Sin when he tested them with hunger, but that was when he gave manna because they grumbled, they were hungry, but God gave manna. They tested him in storing the manna where it said that just take what you need for each day, but of course there was the dude that Kept some and it got moldy, infested with worms, had to throw it out. But they tested. They simply didn't obey the Lord. Then you had the man on Sabbath. Take double the portion on the sixth day. But somebody didn't. And they bread didn't come on the seventh day. They continued to test him. They tested him at the water of Rephidim. They said they were thirsty. Didn't think they were. he was going to fulfill his word. Water comes forth from a rock. They tested him at the golden calf. Of course, that was a great sin in the, company, in the company of Israel. And they did not believe in the Lord. They tested him at Taborah. On the way, just on the journey. We just left the, the Mount Sinai. This was in last week's portion. And they grumbled against the Lord. People on the outskirts of the camp. His fire burned in the camp. And they tested him again there they tested them at the graves of craving when they said they were hungry they wanted meat they had flocks at their feet ignored that god sends quail but then kills them and strikes them with a plague while it's still stuck in their teeth and trying to gather as much as they could possibly eat more than they could ever eat and now they've given a bad report 10 times the lord has has been tested by the children of israel Let me say this to you, and and this is actually kind of a, this is kind of a human concept. I think this is in the nature of man, but I think there might be some nature of it uh, describing God as well. Whenever you're dealing with somebody, you're always trying to weigh, never, nobody's perfect, you don't like everybody perfectly, but what you always do is you weigh the pros and the cons. You weigh the benefit that somebody is to you along with and right beside the, the negative things that they are. That, you know, maybe somebody's a hard worker, but you don't like their personality. You know, something along those lines. And you're constantly doing that sort of weighing. And what happens is if the good things that the person does far outweigh the negative, then you absolutely, you forgive them every time over. Anytime something negative happens, well, the good things always far outweigh, or, out, outweigh the bad. But sometimes as time goes on, they do enough bad things, enough negative things, that you're like, I just can't take this anymore. I just can't take this anymore. All the good things that you do, they just don't, uh, they, the, the scales have been tipped, and it's just like, I can't deal with the negative anymore. God gave ten words to the children of Israel. Ten words of things for them to follow for, for, for commandments. and like, He wants you to keep all ten of them. But man, you know what? If you break one of them, well, then at least you got nine more opportunities to obey the Lord. But you break another one. Well, you got eight more opportunities to obey the Lord. Well, you break another one. Then seven. Then six. Then five. At some point, the times in which you test the Lord might outweigh the number of opportunities He's given you to obey Him. Such was the case with the Ten Commandments. Ten words, ten judgments, ten things. God's God's mercy upon you to obey him is at a level ten. But every time you test him, it goes down a notch. Now, after the bad report, after the tenth one, God's mercy is now at a zero for the children of Israel. He doesn't have the the, the mercy anymore because the, the actions of those people have now outweighed the opportunities for them to obey him. And the judgment comes upon that generation. Ten times they were tested. Now, other people, if they had the right spirit to follow the Lord, they uh like Caleb Joshua, they're still their hearts are still in this. God can work with them. But the, this generation here, I don't think God, God, God thinks we're at the end of the rope. We can't do this anymore. I also find it interesting here, and this is something that um, I tried to verify a little bit more and, and, and do it through a quick search. I, I actually discovered something. I'd like to extrapolate it out a little bit more. God tells them to go way by way of the Red Sea. He tells Moses, you go that way. After Moses had pleaded with him and said, Lord, you, you appear to the camp in a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. We, we follow you. But then God says, just go. There is no reference in the rest of Torah. That I can find, this is unverified at this point, this is a new opinion that I have. There is no reference that the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, led the children of Israel after this point in time. It's mentioned again in uh, Deuteronomy when it is basically being recounted, this is how God appeared to the camp. And it does say that the Lord appears as a cloud in the tent of meeting later on and at the end of the book of Deuteronomy when when, uh, God speaks to Moses and and transfers the power from Moses to Joshua at the end of the entire story, God shows up as a cloud in the tabernacle of meeting. But no other reference for the rest of scripture of our Torah cycle ever says that the pillar led the children of Israel again. That might be reading between the lines. We might say, yeah, the Lord's presence was there while well, he was in the in the tabernacle. But why in the world did they wander in the wilderness now for 40 years after this, 38 more years, 40 total? Because they weren't being led anymore. They chose not to follow God. So why would God go and still put a pillar of fire and go send and tell them to go send back out? God says, you, you guys, just go that way. Go by way of the Red Sea. You're not going to the promised land anymore. Where'd the pillar go? There's no reference of it at any other future time. God, he wasn't leading them anymore. They decided to not follow. So maybe that's reading between the lines, but in my mind, that makes a lot of sense. Because with that generation, because they continued to fall away from the faith and continued to reject Moses, continued to grumble against Moses, the Lord might have removed one of those signs that might have been the ability for them to see and obey the Lord. Something very fascinating on there. My time's running a little bit short, but I do want to, I, I, I still have more that I absolutely want to get to here. It says here, of course, the, the, the complaints have, have come of the, from the children of Israel, and it says, As I live, the Lord, he pronounces his judgment and says, You've spoken in my, as, as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you that have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except Joshua, the son of Yephunneh, or Caleb, the son of Yefune, Joshua, the son of Nun, shall by no means enter the land which I swore to you and would make you dwell in. Anybody 20 years or older, that actually tells us that these were the two men that were older than 20. No one's seen the promised land. I always loved making the joke. My heart goes out to the guy that just turned 20 years old, like maybe a couple of days before the event of this happened. Like, bad luck on you. Sorry, bro. If you'd been born a couple of days earlier, you would get to go to the promised land. But no, the Lord, he says this. He cuts the night off. 20 years old. This generation can't do it. Not going to happen. The ones who were numbered that were able to go to war. You might be able to go to war. You might have been counted before in the census before. But you're not going to get to be the ones that go into the promised land. But your little ones, the Lord says in verse 31, whom you have said would be victims, I will bring them in. They shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Your son shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days you spied out the land, 40 days, um, for each day you shall bear guilt, one year for 40 years. You shall know my rejection, and the Lord has spoken this, and surely uh, I will surely do so to all the evil generation, to this evil generation. All who are gathered against me in the wilderness, they shall be consumed. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made the congregation complain against him, bringing about a report of the land. Those very men were brought the who brought the evil report about the land died of the plague before the Lord. But Joshua and Caleb, they remained the men who went out and went to spy out the land. God made it very clear what happened to them. These guys weren't mentioned after this. They got their name in the scripture <laughs> once but they brought the bad report. And the plague came among them. Ten men, they, they, they died like that that day. <laughs> the rest of the generation, they had to go and wander in the wilderness. The children of Israel, in their spiritual immaturity, very immediately after that, starting in verse 39, they decided that, you know, well, maybe we can take the land. We are going to go take the land. The Lord just told us to go by way of the Red Sea, but let's go take the land. So they jump in, they go, they try to, uh, try to go into the land, and it's not successful. They get into wars and battles with the Amalekites and the Canaanites that are before them. And what it is is they they went up and the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they attacked them and they drove them as far back as Hormah, which is a, a place back in the wilderness. And so they attempted to go and take the land. In fact, if you do a deeper study on Numbers chapter 33 and all the locations the children of Israel went to, And were recorded where they were after they sent the spies. The names of some of the places where they camped, actually, uh, archaeologically, we believe, are in the land of Israel. That it's recorded. They attempted to take the land. They actually went into the land of their own accord. But then were beaten all the way back. And it was recorded that they had to then go back into the wilderness and traverse in, in, in the wilderness as God told them to do, that they were going to then wander in the wilderness. It's the same thing that happens when you have a child and you ask them to clean their room 10 times over. And you finally then say, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to get to go play with your friends. And so then they still ignore you and you still say, I'm, well, they, they still refuse to clean the room. And then you finally say, all right, you're grounded. You're not going to go play with your friends. Well, then, oh, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. So then the kid runs back and they start cleaning their room. Doesn't matter. The judgment has come, the punishment has come, and you're not gonna get to go play with your friends. It doesn't matter what you do now. It's not it's not this sort of thing where you can just turn it around and then do what the Lord has finally said for you to do. They were children. They acted like children. And that was the case that continued to happen with that generation, and they got got into battles because of it. But no, they're gonna obey the Lord and they're gonna wander in the wilderness. Beginning in chapter 15, the last of our Torah portion here, we have some instructions about sacrifices that when they go into the land, for the whole congregation is to, uh, make some sacrifices, some sin offerings when they go into the land. This, I believe, was a commandment that was for that generation when they do go into the land. They're going to keep, they're going to make these sacrifices and when they go and obey the Lord, they're going to say, why are we offering this sin offering? And it's going to cause them to remember and be like, oh yeah. This is the sin offering that we're doing because of what our fathers did. This is the sin offering that is going to be offered before the Lord that is going to cause the generation in the promised land to remember what the previous generation did when they rejected the promised land. These sin offerings that are commanded here, I believe, because of how they're given and told to us, and when they are instructed to the children of Israel, was to make restitution for this sin. We're not going to be restored of this sin. The full payment is not going to be paid for this sin until they are in the land and until this entire generation and their carcasses have fallen in the wilderness. We can't give this offering now. We can't go and it's like, oh, all the congregation, the very next words, all the congregation went into the tabernacle and offered a sin offering for the sin that they made. No, every sin offering, I said this back in Leviticus, the sin offering was offered after restitution has already been made with who you wronged sin offering only brings you back into the presence of god and that's what happened is this god's presence actually was was somewhat in some way even though the tabernacle was still there but this is where i think it had to do with that pillar they had defiled themselves and they had removed the, themselves from the presence of god here only after restitution is made for the sin in the in the land Could they come back into the presence of God to be truly restored because of this sin? We have laws that are given to us about unintentional sin, presumptive sin, the penalty for violating the Sabbath. We have a story here that now we had a man who went out to gather sticks on the Sabbath day. And we're still, these people have no recollection or recall to follow what God has said. And they still disobey him. What do we do with the guy that's picking up sticks on the Sabbath? Well, we need to stone him. What do we do with the guy that acts presumptively and just sins of his own accord willfully? He's going to be cut off from among his people. And the end of the book of Numbers, or, or sorry, of Numbers chapter 15. The chapter is the instruction for the tassels, the blue thread, the blue cord that we are to tie on the edges of our garments. That it was something, it was a commandment for us to look upon. And when we see those tassels, we remember to follow the commandments of the Lord. Just a little thought that sort of came to me uh, this week. What does that look like to you when the tassels are tied and it's hanging there nice, tall and straight? What what does that kind of look like to you? Looks like a pillar. It looks like something long and straight that would be the thing that we should see and then remember to obey the Lord. I believe God's pillar left the presence of the children of Israel. That was in the camp. There would have been always been that thing that that, that when the pillar was present in the camp, the children of Israel didn't need to see anything else to know and to follow the Lord. (laughs) You see that big thing of fire right there? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to do what God says. That's a miracle. I don't know how that got there, but I'm going to follow the Lord. If they say the Lord says that's Him, that's the presence in the camp. I'm going to see that and I'm going to obey. You know what? Maybe that was a little too impersonal. Maybe God's pillar wasn't, wasn't big enough, wasn't good enough, wasn't close enough to them for them to remember to obey the commandments of God. So you know what God gives us? He gives us these things right here. These are supposed to be close to us, personal, near our person, that we should then see among us, maybe, just maybe, if we see those things, then we will obey the Lord. See, sometimes God, you know, he, the children of Israel, they, they did these things and, they enacted, and the way that they acted sometimes produced results that actually was maybe not the original plan of God. But God sometimes works with us and to, to see if we will actually turn to obey him. God originally wanted the whole kingdom to be a kingdom of priests. The firstborn were going to be the priesthood. But because of sin, he takes the Levitical priesthood instead, the Levites. And and so then in this case right here where the Lord, he put his pillar of fire and cloud amongst the children of Israel and they still didn't see it and obey. So you know what? I'm going to give you something a little bit closer to you. Maybe something a little simpler for you to see. And then maybe you might obey the Lord. That is what the Lord is doing. This is the lessons for us to learn. These are the things that we are supposed to connect with our God. He has he wants to be in covenant with us i began by talking about all the great and wonderful miracles and things that he's done and the amazing story of his his promises to us his children but we've disobeyed our ancestors have disobeyed and we have been removed from the presence of god we have to figure out how to get back into the presence of god we have to reaffirm our covenant relationship with the lord in all things Seems like I'm saying that almost every single week when we're talking about our relationship and the things we're supposed to learn from the mistakes of old or what God is trying to do here. He's trying to call us to be holy for He's holy and we're supposed to, we're supposed to be in covenant with Him. We're supposed to be in His presence. We're supposed to obey Him. And if we love Him, we'll obey Him. And we have to prove our love to Him. We do so by obeying His Word. Children of Israel failed to obey His Word and I hope that I brought out some of the pitfalls, some of the symptoms, some of the things that we do even in our day-to-day lives that are the pitfalls that would cause that cause them to fall away. And we need to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. Not operating with the spirit of fear. Just obeying the Lord. Using the people that the Lord has called instead of trying to vote for who we think should be the leaders that should do something. All of these things we have to do before the Lord. We have to obey him and follow him. Let's not make those same mistakes. Let's recognize those same mistakes in our day-to-day lives as we continue to walk uprightly before him, continuing to pursue his commandments and to keep them with the best of our ability to confirm our covenant relationship with the creator of heaven and earth our Heavenly Father, who we owe all things to because He is our redemption, our atonement, our salvation. He's given us forgiveness, and it's the reason for Him, He is the reason that we even have life and breath to breathe from one moment to the next. Let these stories continue to produce that in our faith. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. Father, I pray, even though these stories, Lord, That we read each and every year, Lord, even though there's stories of tragedy. Father, may we take application in our lives, Lord. May we not make the same mistakes that our our forefathers did, that the ancients have made, Lord. And may we obey you. So that your judgment and your wrath does not have to come upon us, Lord. That your mercies outweigh the times and the mistakes and the sins and the ways that we have tested you, Father. May your mercies be new each and every day lord to cover the mistakes that we even that we make may we be conscious to follow your words you give us tips and and physical things for us to see and to follow to remember your word father may we always have our physical eyes open to see those things and our spiritual eyes open to find you in everything that we do for it is you lord who is our King and our Redeemer. And we love you, Lord and Father. May our hearts be turned to obey you and your word and your commandments and all things. We love you and bless you and thank you, Lord. On this Sabbath day, we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Ba'arucha ta'arunai, Eloheinu, Melech Ha'olam, Asher Nathanlanu Torah to Met, Fachay Alamnata Abatoheinu, Ba'arucha ta'arunai, Nonten Ha Torah Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, Giver of the Torah.
2: Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
0: And the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around saying, yes, Shabbat. Shalom, everybody sing.
2: Shalom.
0: Just for a smile.